No matter who I speak to about my yacht, my friends, family, you know, random people in the bar, they all pretty much respond in the same exact way. They say, yeah, super cool, that yacht of yours, but what about your ecological footprint? It was their way of pointing out the elephant in the yacht. That elephant being sustainability. I already expressed my ecological concerns to Mark and Tano. That, that much is clear. And, and with the TU Delft students, I even saw a hydrogen-propelled boat with my own eyes. And who cares if their boat was small? It works. And that's got to mean something, right? When I arrive at FedShip's headquarters in Hofdorp, Mark is waiting for me. He immediately leads me up several flights of stairs to the building's roof. It's like a secret passageway. Where, once outside, I find a tapestry of deck wood panels laid out in a giant square. Each panel represents a different type of wood in a different stage of its aging process. Waiting for me there is a man I'd heard referred to as Fedship's guru of green. Yeah, we're on the roof of our office in uh, Hofdorp, where we have several samples of alternatives for teak. My colleague Guido Loof is here, and he's really the specialist on everything which has to do so uh, sustainability for all the certain questions you have. We are, we're going to talk with him, and he's also able to well, explain to you what, what we're looking at. Great, let's go. This episode has been a long time coming. It's time to grab the elephant by the trunk and pay more than just lip service to sustainability. I'm burning with questions I absolutely need answered before I can feel comfortable with my super yacht and with myself. Today, I'm going to make the biggest ecological decision I can make as the prospective owner of a super yacht. How to power it. Welcome to episode four of FedShip Uncovered. The elephant in the yacht. You're the master of all things sustainable, I understand. Well, the master? I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Just a quick introduction. You are? My name is Guido Loof. I'm a head of R&D of uh, FedShip. So we're involved with all sorts of uh, difficult stuff and fun stuff as well. So uh, doing testing, doing all sorts of work to get to understand what the technical opportunities are that we can, uh, can get. But also ways how we can reduce our impact. Uh, so if you talk about sustainability, it's all about what is impact we cause and what's the solution. So that's what we work on. It feels a bit odd to be walking across a windy roof in the middle of an industrial area while making a podcast about super yachts. I should be on a boat or in a harbor. I should be able to at least see water, which I can't. Instead, the sky is streaked with the orange and baby blue of airplanes taking off and landing at Schiphol Airport. A few blocks away, there's a train station, and next to that, the longest freestanding bus lane in Europe. And here I am staring at a tapestry of wood deck tiles made of various natural and synthetic materials. But Mark has brought me here for a reason. While propulsion and fuel play an outsized role in a yacht's ecological footprint, he wants me to know that all the little choice I make matter as well. The type of glass I choose, the upholstery of my furniture, wood for my deck. What I do know is that teak is the go-to wood in the yachting world. And there's a reason for that. It looks good and not unimportant. It's also impervious to extreme weather conditions. But it's a tropical hardwood with all the negative fallbacks of sourcing wood from the tropics. I'm standing here because I do not want to use teak on my yacht. 
But finding an alternative is apparently a pretty tall order. Yachting industry standards, quality, comfort, aesthetics. Teak ticks off all those boxes. But you just can't lay down the best teak alternatives on the market. They have to be tried and tested before you can use them. You've set up a little uh, research station here on the roof. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's, uh, we have several different tests that we are uh, currently doing. But uh, this is one. Uh, and it's focusing on alternative decking materials because of... Well, uh, natural resources are diminishing uh, and we need to look at ways to how we can well, do the, pretty much the same thing, but then with other materials, but then in a very sustainable way. And that's a, actually very challenging if you look at these sort of materials because there are all sorts of impacts, not only the, the availability of the resource, but also all sorts of social impacts that are attached to it. And so we need to consider all a lot of different things. And here we are testing the physical properties. So how do they age? How do they color? How do they feel? So we measure temperatures and all sorts of things. Yeah, so that's what you see here. So is this something you're, in, you're interested in? This is definitely something we're interested in because while I love the feel of a teak, warm teak under my yeah, bare yeah, feet, yeah, yeah. I don't think I can yeah. morally head out to sea with teak decking. Yeah, no, I, I can understand. We hear that more and more. And um, well, actually, what you're referring to, the, this, this, uh, this, um, this touch, this, this, the things that you feel, it's called effusivity. The way how the, the warmth or the heat is transferred to the material. And that is something we are also measuring and trying to figure out. So there are both wooden, but also uh, say uh, uh, synthetic uh, materials uh, tested and they have very different behavior. If you look here you see uh, especially uh, the aging uh, effects on different wood species. So when we uh, started to, uh, to, to test them they looked very different but over time a lot of them while these are different woods look very similar and because they age here on the roof you can also see whether there are consequences of the aging by cracking or discolorization uh, and so that's what we test here. I do feel that um, while I'm here um, I should do a barefoot test on one of these pieces of wood. Which one would you recommend? Yeah, I think let's try uh, different ones. Okay. I'm gonna take off my shoes, let's do this. Okay. Shall we start with the original? Wood. So when you say original wood, you mean teak? Teak, teak, yeah, original teak. Okay, this feels, this feels like expectations. Yeah, this is yeah, warm yeah, teak, yeah, this yeah. is nice. Yeah. Okay. So if you would take this one or that one, these are two non-wood species. It's, it even says this, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh. Texture. The texture yeah. is different, okay. It's not the same experience as walking on it with my bare feet. It feels different than teak. It is warm and rough and woodish in nature, but it's not wood, it's made of rice. I think there are a lot of different uh, alternatives. Some of them we don't particularly advise you to use, and perhaps we also don't wish to use them because of the, the quality, but a lot of them have quite decent quality. I, I, I'm willing to take a risk on a sustainable yeah. deck, so. Well, the one that I like is to use a maple, maple wood, which is something that is growing a lot of different places. You know, I actually eat ma maple wood bacon. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can buy maple wood bacon, it has <laughs> a, a ring to it. And, and yeah, syrup, yeah. yeah. You can um, modify this wood without uh, spending a lot of chemicals and things like that. So, so that's something that is, to me, uh, one uh, to look at. And it's still wood. When the sky darkens and the wind picks up, Guido suggests we continue our conversation inside. 
Like most people, I often read articles about the planet-warming emissions of airplanes and trucks, cargo ships, and, yes, superyachts. The enormity of the energy transition needed to make mobility more sustainable literally keeps me up at night. And while I try to do the little things to reduce my own footprint, I find myself quietly rooting for the people actively searching for the big solutions. People like Hito. I can relate to this a lot. I mean, something that's, uh, that keeps me awake as well. Uh, and uh, for me, it's my personal motivation, you know, working in this industry. Uh, it's, it, while working in this industry, I can make a difference. You know, I can also try to, to, to influence this. And yeah, what are the things we can do? Guido seems like a straight shooter, so I give it to him straight. I want a sustainable yacht. And by that I mean I want the most sustainable yacht, and I want him to help me design it. A super yacht that uses the most advanced technologies today, but also one that can be adapted to embrace the new ones that will become available down the road. How we approach this is about, is like, we need to understand uh, what impact is that we cause. Uh, so uh, is it, how much percent is it? Well, 95%. That's related to the fuel. And it's only 2% our production process and 3% our upstream process. So the process where the steel is made and the aluminum or the engines and stuff like that. So I'm not saying that that is not, not relevant to look at, but well, the main concern is the fuels. First, we need to look at what are the other ways to reduce the fuel consumption? What are other fuels we should look at to expand the use of non-fossil energy? And uh, being very specific, we as FedShip have um, decided that we will build in so-called fuel flexibility. Um, and that means that the yacht will be able to store not only diesel fuel, but also alcohols. Not to drink. shouldn't drink that. <laughs> and there's a good reason for that. Because yachts are part of a very big fleet of ships that rely on the same fuel supply infrastructure, more or less, and the fuel production chain. And the big shipping fleet, there's no question what will be the next fuel, but the next fuel will be methanol because massive amount of container vessels are being built. There's investment done in these, uh, the production of these fuels, in the distribution, in the bunker facilities, everything is in process. It is being done. And now we are designing and building a new yacht for you you will become disappointed if you cannot run on that green fuel that will be available when you will get your superyacht. So just to recap, fuel makes up 95% of a superyacht's emissions, and methanol is the biofuel of choice. FedShip's answer to all this movement is what they call fuel flexibility. Got it? Good. People need to let this sink in that they can make this move today. The entire fleet. The biggest impact is the fuels. Yeah. We can solve it today without changing the odds, which is really sustainable. Just retrofitting. No, 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 re no retrofit. Drop in all the fuel. First of all, what? I need to process what he's telling me because it's a little bit over my head. What is a drop in fuel? So for the next 20 minutes, Hito gives me a master class in hydro treated vegetable oil diesel, or HVO for short. This so-called drop-in fuel is made out of second-generation flora or fauna biomass and is purified using hydrogen. The biomass consists of oils and fats sourced from various waste and residue flows. So far, so good. 
Guido then goes on to tell me that in the future, it will be possible to produce drop-in fuels using renewable electricity to create hydrogen, which can then be synthesized into a fuel similar to diesel. Are you still with me? Guido refers to these type of e-fuels as kind of like magic. He is utterly convinced that circular, non-fossil fuels can radically alter the impact of existing fed ships and not just the new ones being built today. And so on the one hand, I'm completely blown away by what he is telling me, that these fuels exist, but they're not being readily adopted already. And on the other hand, I'm relieved there's a viable solution already out there and readily available today. Why, aren't every, why isn't everybody doing this? Cost. Uh, what are we talking here? Um, depends on where you are. Uh, because of production, supply um, is perhaps more difficult in certain regions. But then that's somewhere between uh, a 50% increase up to a 200% increase. But if it's possible, why aren't people using it? It is awareness. But also, steps will be taken uh, voluntarily. There is no regulation of this for our fleet. There's no regulations in place for uh, superyachts, which is also odd. Am I asking for the impossible? No, you're not. You're not. You, you, you're not asking for the impossible. You push us in order to realize the developments we are running, we are doing, because there's always a voluntary part from an owner perspective. How about things like uh, an all-electric yacht's not going to happen, right? I mean, that's you probably need like a 400-meter yacht to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We never say no. Because even when you would like to have a battery-powered yacht, it is possible, but there are compromises to make. So you, the main compromise will be how far you can sail in it. It is possible. You can buy an electric tender, uh, but you can't go transatlantic on it. The bigger you make a vessel, the further you could go with a viable electric uh, concept. Uh, so if you, if you have all the space to spend, you could do this. But it will be really difficult to source the electricity to, to charge your battery bank. And so our proposals will always have in mind that you can really operate with it. We need to see that it will be a viable uh, infrastructure for you to rely on. Otherwise, we, we sell you a yacht, we build this for you, but you can't really use it or you get all sorts of operational limitations, which you don't want, obviously. All this talk of infrastructure reminds me of the TU Delft students and their hydrogen-powered boat, Aurora. Every time they need to refuel their boat, they need to take it out of the water, load it onto a trailer, and tow it 30 minutes down the road to the nearest gas station that carries hydrogen. Guido tells me FedShip is dealing with similar issues. The big difference being you can't lift a superyacht onto a trailer. Without a network of hydrogen gas stations placed strategically at harbors around the world, you're pretty much left high and dry. So, so I have an expedition-style yacht I'm looking at. What, just straight up, what, what type of fuel system should I have? What's the most sustainable option available to me right now? Yeah, the best option where you need to go through for is a fuel-flexible fat ship. And that means that you're able to operate on the non-fossil fuels available today, but also ones that will become available tomorrow. Uh, because we build it for ages. I mean, you're going to enjoy it for, for decades. Yeah. Uh, so we can't just say, well, we exclusively designed for one specific fuel with one specific production chain and good luck with it. That doesn't, that will not work. Hiro, 
I kind of came here with the idea that I was going to walk out with a hydrogen boat, but I'm kind of getting the feeling that that's not even possible. Is it impossible? Uh, well, as we pretty much always say, everything is possible. And actually, this is possible. We, we are building it. We are building a hydrogen boat, a hydrogen yacht. Right now? Right now, yeah. Now you tell me. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, we need to keep some secrets from you. That's uh, good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, what is actually very interesting, this project, um, you know, it's, it's really pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, introducing fuel cells on a super yacht. And the mature technology today is to connect that to pure hydrogen. So this, this yacht will have a liquid hydrogen storage on board. It's not enough to cross the Atlantic, but it's it's really a very significant step forward. It's 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 pushing the the technology. It is pushing the the regulatory compliance of these sort of systems because it's quite quite a quite a challenge. So uh, that is that is really really cool. So it, it is possible. Okay, but that's a huge relief, like a big relief. That gives me some hope. I'm I'm just trying to think what is when you say it can't cross the Atlantic, what can it do? I mean, how much? If you give a percentage or something, how much of the yacht is hydrogen powered? Hmm. Yeah. Can you even say it that way? Yeah, yeah, you can say it that way. Um, yeah, it, it's all about what we call energy density. Yeah, so how much energy can we store within a, well, a cubic meter? And uh, well, it takes about thirty times the space of diesel to store hydrogen for the same amount of energy. And so we, we cannot really store all the energy that we used to have in diesel in hydrogen. So we can only have smaller systems. Of course, we could build a massively large fat ship with one big, huge storage tank, but that doesn't really make sense. You know, the next step, and we are working on that, is not to have pure hydrogen, but hydrogen bonded to other elements, atoms. And when I was talking about methanol before, that's actually one of these molecules, it is a hydrogen container. And if we store that on board, it is only two times the space of diesel. And then that works. Then you can cross the Atlantic and we can release that hydrogen on board and power the fuel cell. So that's the next step. Hey, you sound pretty nonchalant about it all, but it sounds, I mean, it's quite revolutionary what you're telling me right now. I mean, I'm getting a little bit a bit excited for my own yacht. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine because th this is what, for us, the crux of our multi-fuel design is. Multi-fuel means that we can store, as, as I mentioned before, both diesel or, or, or non-fossil diesel equivalent fuel, but also alcohols. Methanol is an alcohol. And that methanol, we could use it to run a combustion engine, but we could also use it as an energy a hydrogen carrier in order to power a fuel cell. And this is the next step up of this technology. And actually the current yacht that we are building with a fuel cell is accelerating this. So it is the, it's, you could say an intermediate step for a yacht it is, but it's helping us to a, a bit further. For other ship types, uh, think about a, a ferry in crossing the Norwegian fjords, that can be done with pure hydrogen. And then it makes sense because you could source this, this fuel, this pure hydrogen, very close by because there's infrastructure available and the ferry only needs to cross 100 kilometers or so or nautical miles. Yeah. 
So then it works. But give me the time frame then. I need I need some hope. But I mean, we've we've talked about some pretty heavy topics today. Uh, maybe not always really positive, but that's mm -hmm. maybe just the state of mind when one's yeah. talking about sustainability. But can you scope out a bit of the future? Like I'm, I'm clearly going to call Tano after this conversation, yeah, yeah, yeah. but can you sketch out what's the future going to look like in in time? Like in normal people talk? Yeah, yeah. I can, I, I can, I can. Um, the project we're currently engineering, based on the multi-fuel concept, already have these fuel cells on the, uh, yeah, say in the blueprint, uh, in the, 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 the designs that we're working on, because those, uh, those yards will see the light of day, say in some four or five years from now. And that's the development time that we still need to have to get to mature fuel cells that may run on methanol. So that's not, not a huge period, and it pretty much aligns well with a new project that we start. So if we start your new project, this is something to consider, for sure. So yes, talk to Tano about this. I don't want to exaggerate it all, but in a word like game changers, kind of thrown around quite quickly, but is this going to... We see this as the next generation of our fat chips. So don't think of it as being the exclusive system to you because we want to accelerate this and you will be helping us to accelerate this. And then it, let's hope it will become the new normal. And when you say next generation, how, how long does a generation of yachts usually last? Like I think, I think they, la they have lasted for quite a long time. But uh, the last couple of years, these generations are changing uh, quite quickly and besides the project that we were just talking about also we are currently delivering a, a yacht called obsidian which is also a full electric drive yacht so the the proportion is electric and uh, there are no fuel cells inside but there's a very fancy system with generators and batteries and it's, it's really efficient so that's what we refer to as the current generation and then the, uh, the one with fuel cell is really well, the same sort of generation, but it's really accelerating that, that development of the fuel cells, which is uh, extremely cool. Okay, so all the things we've been talking about today is actually kind of a little bit in the works. You've been teasing me a little bit. You've been holding back on me to the very end of our conversation. <laughs> uh, you, you have to, you have to uh, bring things to a bit of a uh, climax. Okay. Yeah, we need to keep it exciting also for you listening to you talk and stuff mm. i mean it's you've surprised me a couple times just mm. i dare say activist uh, you, you have a do mm. you have a little bit of an activist in you well uh I'm, I'm i'm not sure i mean that's an opinion by somebody else uh, at least i'm very active on that note i think it's time to give tano a call again the trip to malcolm shipyard the talk with guido i've just seen so much since we last spoke and while I know he's having a lot of fun designing my Palm Springs modernist yacht, I'm sure he misses me. Hello, Thomas speaking. Hey, Tano, it's John again. Hey, John. Hello. <laughs> Weren't expecting me to call again, were you? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, somewhere I thought you might have called me. Yeah. Uh, around about now. I don't know if you heard, but uh, took a little trip to to Malcolm and and had a, a tour. Fantastic. That yeah, was how was it? Mind blowing. Crazy. Yeah. Like I didn't expect so. I just thought I'm gonna go to a workplace, but that just it's like Disneyland <laughs> for adults, right? It's 
<laughs> I'd love to go there indeed. Yeah. And, you know, I hate to do this to you again, but when I was there. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I love it, John. Come on. Okay. One word beach club. Do I need it? Uh, that's, that's interesting. I can hear you've been in Makam. Uh, beach club is something that is very nice to have. It's, it's, uh, it's a nice area. You've, you're close to the water. That's something that you want. That's what we talked about in our, in our, in our briefing. Yes, I think we can combine something there. Yeah. I feel that there's something nice. But if it becomes a Frankenstein yacht, you'll tell me, right? Like before yeah, we get there. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, yeah. <laughs> and you will see so yourself before that, I'm sure. That'd be great. That'd be great. Cool. That's it. Listen, last time I asked you for about five things, so I'm, I'm getting the hang of this. <laughs> Less work for me then. Huh? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> talking about work, by the way, uh, I've sent you a few sketches that I, I sketched up uh, after our last meeting. Maybe it's nice to walk that through really? a little bit. Really? Let's do that. Did you see them already? I didn't. Did you send them through? Yeah, I, I was, did. I was so busy talking about the things I wanted. This is great. Okay, wait a second. Let me open this up. Got it. Ha. <laughs> hey, Palm Springs <laughs> weekend. You got the fault. Absolutely. You got the whole thing. You're, you're, look at that. I, this is great to I see. I was very much inspired by the book uh, that you gave me last time. And it was great to walk that through. Yeah. Um, and I picked a few things out of it. Uh, for instance, uh, what you see on the first picture that I sketched up is that you've got your your home very, very close to a pool. Of course, with the desert uh, uh, architecture, you can imagine that you need a pool yeah. uh, close to the water. You really walk out of your, uh, yeah, let's say uh, the main lounge, so to say, in yeah. right into the pool. That was striking for me. Yeah. Something that I really got out of that it was interesting. This is, yeah. You're a really good drawer, by the way. I mean, even your penmanship <laughs> puts me to shame. This is good stuff. It's a bit of a James Bond and Ken Adams, you know, Ken Adams yeah, style. I do. It asks you to come in and to see what's behind the door. Yeah. Very huge big entrance doors and then the roof that goes up and gives you a lot of height and the, the length the horizontal lines of the of the buildings they're fantastic i think we should use that also in in the boat so i like this i haven't even thought about this so you're thinking great. this is great i want big doors i think, I think nice. we can really use that yeah. i think we can really use that cool and then you see the the, the concrete block sunscreens yeah you see yeah. them on the right i side? do that's that's interesting they use that a lot yeah I was I was actually afraid to ask you about that because they're all uh like like you said beton they're all hard heavy materials uh, cement yeah, we can and use another material stone we and, can use something different okay uh, they're like for sunshades yeah, and stuff see. right they're like screen yeah. slash uh yeah you can see through and the air comes through but the sun is blocked by it it's it's really interesting oh that's great I'm glad you picked up on that page four. Page four, falling water from Frank Lloyd's right. Yeah. There's a basin outside. Yeah. That was interesting because what you have there is a big contrast uh, between the pool, the round forms, and the water in there, yeah. and the stairs going up. And the stairs are stone, dark stone, yeah. with edges and all. It's really beautiful. Yeah. That's um, something that we can use on the boat. Okay. Again, you're you're blowing my mind here because you use words like stone and cement. These were like no-go areas for me, but uh, maybe I underestimated uh, your powers. <laughs> but falling water well, you, is a good got, benchmark. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? To be honest, that sounds in in my 
ears as very modernist. Uh, this this yeah, but it's also a great a great feel, absolutely great feeling, absolutely okay. beautiful. Well, we want it. We're good. Tono, <laughs> there you go. This is so awesome that you sent this stuff to me. It actually helps me. It's all been in my head. So now I I get to. Do you, am I allowed to print it out and like stick it on my wall just to look at it? Are you okay with that? Please do. Okay. I was going to do it anyway. I just thought I'd ask you permission. <laughs> That's very nice of you. I hope so. <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Thank see you ya. very much, John. Thank you. Okay, see you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. In the next episode, I finally get to step foot on a finished fed ship. I'll take a tour of the entire ship from the engine room and the servants' quarters to the beach club and the bridge. This is a um, pneumatic operated door. It reminds me of Star Trek. That's a Star Trek-y sound, doesn't it? And I'll have a candid conversation with an experienced captain and ask him for some hands-on tips. Are you the guy that finds the waves for me? This would be my dream job, finding waves for you on a yacht. (laughs) Okay. Let's sign contract right now. (laughs) You'll hear all this and more on episode five of Fed Ship Uncovered. 